Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to Farm Food Facts for Wednesday, July 24th, 2019. I'm your host, Phil Lempert. Today, our thought leader is Dr. Pornima Paramaswaran, who is the co-founder and president of Trace Genomics. Her PhD is in microbiology and immunology from Stanford with a Nobel laureate, Dr. Andrew Fire. She's the author on 12 publications where she pioneered the use of genomics technologies to address fundamental questions in microbial diseases. Trace Genomics was the winner and the main investment at the Foodshot Global Innovating Soil 3.0. Pornima, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. So congratulations um, about winning the Foodshot Award. Um, tell us a bit about Trace Genomics and what you hope to achieve. Sure. So at Trace Genomics, we have a very simple genetic test for soil that farmers can use to make the right decisions about planting, what to plant, when to plant, and also what types of inputs um, and management practices that they should be applying and using on their farm. And really the goal is for us to make the data below ground, the soil genomics data, accessible and actionable for farmers. Because until now, farmers have not been able to access the biology of the soil to make real-time farming decisions. What you're saying to me makes a lot of common sense. Um, The question that I've got is whether the DNA of soil on the top layer, middle level, and lower level could actually be different. That's an excellent question. And uh, yes, they are actually different. And the way in which we, I would say, it's a question that our scientists in-house um, actually have tested to help overcome that problem. And it's still a problem. I mean, it's still a question that we are continuing to address with testing out different ways of sampling, different depths of sampling. So what matters to us is that we standardize the way in which soil samples are collected from the fields. And so that allows us to control for the variability in terms of where is the soil sample coming from? Right? Is it coming from just the top six inches? Is it coming from 18 to 24 inches? Is it coming from somewhere in, in between? So all of that information is actually captured as part of every soil sample that gets sent to us. And we are able to optimize what, you know, what our insights look like for the database of samples that come from that particular depth of soil sample. It's also very much dependent on type of crop, right? For some crops, typically the soil cores are taken at zero to six inch depth. For other crops, the soil samples are typically taken at 18 to 24 inch depth. And so we, by plugging and playing into the existing sampling regimens that are very much crop dependent, that are very much dependent on the type of insights in soil biology data that the farmer wants to see, which is how deep do the roots go, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, We're already plugging and playing into that, and that allows us to standardize our soil biology data insights for farmers who are farming a particular type of crop. So I am clearly not a microbiologist. So my next question might seem a bit odd, or to you might say, this guy doesn't know what he's asking me. Um, now that, that you can look at the DNA, is it possible that the next level 
utilizes uh, biotechnology such as CRISPR that you could go in and you know, adjust certain genes, turn them off and on to make that soil healthier? The only limiting factor here is technology and rate of deployment of technology. So when we are looking at soil microbiology, we are able to provide a snapshot of what organisms are there in the soil. Are there good organisms um, that are important for plant growth and for plant um, nutrition? Or are there bad organisms, the ones that cause diseases in plants? And we identify what organisms are there, but we also look at the functionality in the soil, like what genes are present in the soil that allow for these good and bad functionalities to happen, right? And the way in which we are currently giving this information to farmers is in a very simple report where we say, hey, this is your disease risk in your soils. And these are, for example, the nutrient cycling capabilities that you are you have a green light for or you have a red light for, in which case you should be worried about those particular soil biology functionalities missing in your soil. And you should come in with management practices or with the right inputs to um, to better your soil functionality in nutrient cycling. So we're, it gives the farmer the ability to look at those types of um, insights into their soil. The What you're alluding to is the ability to use this information for development of other technologies like CRISPR that could also, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. help a farmer farm better, right? Um, better genetics or just better soil properties in general. And absolutely, like that is exactly the type of platform that Trace Genomics is building. We're laser focused on giving farmers insights, but this type of information is absolutely very valuable for other biotech companies that are uh, looking to make the right, to develop the right traits um, for farming of the future. So if people want to know more information about Trace Genomics, where should they go? They can go onto our website, uh, which is www.tracegenomics.com. They can also reach out directly to me. It's my first name at tracegenomics.com, email address. Um, we also have contact information on our website. And um, we're fully commercial, happy to uh, you know engage with customers. We're fully commercial in specialty crops. Uh, we are setting up um, processes to launch for row crops for the 2020 growing season. So stay tuned for that. But we'd love to hear from uh, from everyone. Terrific. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Farm Food Facts. And congratulations for winning the Food Shock Global Innovating Soil 3.0 prize. Thank you so much for having us. And now for the news. How we can suppress pathogens on farms naturally. It may come as a surprise, but new research has found that dung beetles and soil bacteria may be better natural suppressants of harmful human pathogens than removing hedgerows, ponds, and other habitats as a means of keeping wild animals out of farms. Dung beetles and soil bacteria can naturally suppress E. coli and other harmful pathogens before they're able to spread to humans, performing as a preliminary link in the food safety chain. This research appeared in a recent issue of the Journal of Applied Ecology. Dr. Matthew Jones, who led the research, stated the following. Reduced use of broad-spectrum insecticides and wormicides have been found to encourage dung beetle populations. 
The study looked carefully at two pathways through which organic farm management can help contribute to creating an environment that better suppresses pathogens. First, organic farms tend to build more organic matter in their soil. The organic matter promotes diverse microbial communities, which suppresses foodborne pathogens. Second, organic farms often host diverse dung beetle collectives that bury feces below ground, making it extremely difficult for pathogens to survive. Food safety regulations tend to pressure growers to remove hedgerows and other natural habitats that farmers utilize to keep out pathogen-carrying wildlife, like wild pigs. However, removing these types of habitats could decrease biodiversity and make the farmland less welcoming to pollinators and other beneficial insects and birds. Discouraging biodiversity on the farm, as some food safety management plans may suggest, is actually counterproductive. As an alternative, growers should welcome and encourage dung beetles and soil bacteria that can help keep harmful bacteria in check. What grocers need to know is that farmers are working hard to ensure proper food safety practices. And in other soil health related news, USDA takes stock of cover crop benefits. A new report from the USDA discovered that farmers are likely to see returns from planting cover crops within three years if the practice is being used to deal with herbicide resistant weeds, to graze livestock, or to reverse soil degradation. This report is based on analysis of five years of data from approximately 500 farms, which is the largest multi-year data set that's ever been compiled in regards to showing how grocers' yields respond to cover crops. The report coincides with some farm groups and environmental advocates encouraging producers to adopt a cover crop practice because of its environmental and climate mitigation benefits. For example, preventing soil erosion, protecting water quality, and sequestering more carbon. After just the first year of planting cover crops, farmers on average saw their corn yields increase by a half of a percent, and their soybean yields increased by 2.1%. After five years, corn and soybean yields increased by 4% and 5%. In addition, during the 2012 drought, most farms saw a significantly bigger boost in yield as a result of cover cropping. Corn yields increased by 6% and soybeans by 11.4% because of the effects on rainfall infiltration, reduced soil evaporation, and overall improved soil quality. What grocers need to know is that there is good news on the horizon as farmers are working hard to increase yields while battling climate change. Megan Kaiser is a soil scientist at Perry Agriculture Laboratory in Bowling Green, Missouri. Megan and her husband, Mark, have one son, also named Mark. Megan and Mark farm corn and soybeans alongside Mark's family on Kaiser Family Farms in Carrollton, Missouri. She serves on the United Soybean Board Executive Committee as the Demand Action Team Chair. Megan, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Thank you for having me. So, Megan, you've seen the film 30 Harvests. What does that mean to agriculture and the entire food industry about the message and, and what's in there? Well, I personally, I, I think it brings hope to uh, and, and really a new energy um, that we're doing something so much bigger than ourselves. Um, I think one of my favorite things about the, the film is kind of thinking about how our sustainability story on our farm doesn't end at our farm gate, that what we do on our, our on our land, it lends to the sustainability story, really, of every end user and consumer of our product. 
Um, for instance, soybean oil is, has long been just kind of the byproduct of crushing soybeans. Um, and, mm-hmm. but now we're seeing that the oil itself can be a replacement for so many, um, petroleum based products and, and things like biodiesel and bioheat. Um, and that when we use those products, the carbon that's emitted is actually then recaptured by our next soybean crop. So it's much more of a carbon cycle rather than a carbon emission. I think that's really exciting. Megan, in the film, besides having this powerful message, you also played a role in the film. And you're the one who actually coined the phrase 30 harvest. Tell me what it was about uh, to, to experience that kind of very different career path than what you do today. Well, you know, to be honest, this, the timing of this film ended up being uh, far more personal to my husband and I than I had expected. Um, this year, flooding has completely covered our entire farm all season, and there there won't be a harvest for us this year. Mm. Um, and when I put a picture on Twitter uh, of our farm underwater, someone asked why we wouldn't just turn our farm into a lake. Wow. And that really, that cut us pretty hard. And, and yeah. I kind of identified with the film in... Um, you know, just questioning, why do we do this? Um, but the reason is, is that we have a humanitarian imperative to farm. Um, one acre of corn with an average of 150 bushels um, provides enough kilocalories to feed 10 people for an entire year, not not a day or a week, but an entire year. Um, and, and we're learning that now we have such a, a larger role to play in reducing carbon emissions, not only for our industry of agriculture, but the entire population, we can we can play a role in in really helping um, our climate. So, you know, I think um, seeing this film really, you know, energized us to um, keep the faith and and to start working on how we can make our land better and more productive once the water recedes, and and we'll be back at it next year. So, Megan, I'm going to ask you a, a very tacky question. You say you, you won't have a harvest this year. That much put a lot of financial pressure on your family. It does. It does. Um, you know, we are glad that we have um, invested in the crop insurance program and that um, we have protected ourselves. We could have never imagined um, that this year would be so devastating. Um, but, you know, that that keeps us basically in business. It's not not an income. So, mm-hmm. um, yep, we, um, we are diversified, um, that we, my husband and I also have a precision agriculture, uh, business and, um, I work at Perry Agricultural Laboratory as a soil scientist and, um, but you know, all, all of our diversity is within agriculture. So it is a tough sure. time. Uh, but we also know that we're not alone. You know, there's a lot of people that even if they weren't completely flooded have really fought fought the rains this year and uh, and then some other areas are fighting the drought and it's just been um it's been a tough year <laughs> let me let me go back into the lab for a moment uh to the to the other side of your career <laughs> what are you doing in the lab and to to hopefully help all farmers and help all agriculture really understand the power of soil well in our in our lab we use chemistry um, to not only find out just what the actual nutrients of the soil are, but we also focus on the, the chemical aspects, um, indicating the, the soil structure and having enough air space and, and pore space for water. 
um, and, and how that physical structure then helps stimulate the biological activity. And those microbes help the nutrient turnover and, and kind of stimulate the, the soil health and the soil life. Um, and one of the things I love to tell people is in working here at the laboratory, I meet farmers from all over the world, and farmers are smart. Um, they work every day to make their soils healthier and more balanced and more productive. And when we do that, we unlock the power of linking soil health to animal health and even human health. Um, and so I think the future of, of that aspect is so exciting because we, we're starting to talk about things like nutraceuticals and increasing the nutrient profile of our food. And really, you know, what, what more do farmers want than to sustainably nourish society? Well, Megan, keep up the good work. Um, I'm, I'm praying for you that uh, the land is going to dry out soon and you're going to have a great harvest next year. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. For more information on all things food and agriculture and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com under the Programs and Media tab and visit us on Facebook at U.S. Farmers and Ranchers or on Twitter at USFRA. Until next time.